Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history this week on the agenda. You're going to be having a chat about King Canute the Great, a Viking leader whose incredible achievements include uniting the thrones of Denmark, Norway and England, forging the mighty, expansive North Sea Empire and causing me to be extremely careful when typing out the title of this episode before submitting it. Canute was an absolute pistol hook, like, let me tell you, this guy was incredible. He's going around, he's raiding and pillaging like any self-respecting Viking would, but he didn't just leave it there. His dad, Svein Forkbeard, was the king of Denmark and had built up a fair head of steam in invading England. After Svein died, Canute inherited Denmark, conquered England, no bother at all, and then went on to conquer Norway as well, creating a huge and extremely powerful realm known to history as the North Sea Empire. That was it was never called that back then. Canute was in his time the second most powerful medieval ruler in Europe, and he was and he was best mates with the first most powerful too. This bloke was going around kicking goals with both feet. He was equally comfortable in the royal court or on the battlefield. He ruled extremely successfully and efficiently, despite only being able to be in one of his kingdoms at a time. And as we'll hear, if his subordinates, if the people that he delegated power to, if they put a toe out of line, he, he fixed them up quick smart. He's a really interesting bloke, and I think it's a shame he's not better known. Um, there are many famous Vikings from history that you know most people have heard of, but Canute is often overlooked. Maybe his name gets caught in the old profanity filter, I don't know. But look, he, he bloody shouldn't be. He shouldn't be overlooked like this. And uh, today, as a result, we're going to learn a thing or two about this bloke, about his life, his achievements, his legacy. Uh, but before we begin, thanks go to alert listener Parker Dan, who got in touch uh, with Canute the Great as a topic suggestion. Cheers, Parker, mate. Appreciate you taking the time to send me an email. Good on you. Anyway, as ever, a lot to get across today, so let's get to it here. Time for the tale of King Canute the Great of the North Sea Empire. Here we go. We're going all the way back here. We're going all the way back to around the year 990 CE, maybe, perhaps. We're not really sure of the year of Canute's birth or indeed much else about his early years. Uh, we do know about his dad. I mentioned before his dad was a bloke named Svein Forkbeard, the king of Denmark, uh, who himself was the son of a very famous Scandinavian ruler that you probably heard of, Harold Bluetooth, the king of both Denmark and Norway in his time. Very interesting fella, Harold Bluetooth was, especially especially his relationship with his son, Svein. Uh, we'll have a chat about him at some point, I reckon. But uh, for now, it's back to his grandson, Canute. 
As I say, don't know much about the early years of this bloke. We don't even know who his mum was, really. Uh, could have been a Polish princess, could have been a former queen of Sweden. We're really not sure. Um, but there are some old tales and sagas that, uh, that tell us a few things about Canute's upbringing. Uh, how, as a youngster, he was trained to fight by a chieftain of the legendary Yoms Vikings, a mercenary group that is... Uh, well, potentially legendary in both senses of the word. Uh, legendary in the sense that they're extremely famous, skilled warriors that fight and kill for anyone who, who, who could afford them. But also maybe legendary in the sense that they didn't exist. Not 100% sure on that one. Anyway, as a teenager, he may have also gone off on raids to the English coastline, uh, as Vikings love to do so very much. But again, not certain of this. Honestly, we're not really certain of anything much about Canute until we get to the year 1013. And I'm, I'm sorry to be so vague about all this, but uh, this bloke's early years really are just a bit of a bloody mystery to us, to be honest. Anyway, 1013. That's when we can start to reliably put Canute on the historical record with, uh, with a level of certainty. Uh, because it was in that year that he was on board for a full-scale invasion of England with his dad, King Svein, who was by now king of both Denmark and and Norway, just like his dad, Harold Bluetooth, before him. Between the 8th and 11th centuries, uh, as you probably know, Viking raids and invasions of England were pretty bloody common. The Anglo-Saxon English very thoughtfully liked to store their riches in monasteries, making it very convenient for Vikings to come along, raid and pillage, and nick all of this wealth from nice centralised locations. But it went a lot further than raids. Some Viking forces staged full-scale invasions and even established Viking kingdoms in England. In the late 9th, uh, 9th century, Danes controlled the northeast half of modern-day England. They were sandwiched between the Scots and the, the Northumbrians to the north uh, and the English to the southwest uh, in the Anglo-Saxon kingdom of Wessex. And this realm, this Viking realm, was known as the Dane Law. Countless Viking raiders and warriors actually ended up settling down in England and uh, turning their swords into ploughshares. And obviously, this uh, this this mass migration of Nordic settlers in England had had huge knock on effects for the history of England, and therefore, as England and Britain rose to become a global superpower, the the history of the world more broadly. But one of the most obvious long term effects of this Viking settlement in England is the influence of Norse language on the English language. There are countless words that we use in English every day that come from Old Norse, uh, gift, rotten, plough, even word, even weird words like ombudsman, right? But my personal favourite is, you will never believe this, right? You will never believe this. My personal favourite is <clears throat> skyscraper, which is technically speaking an old Norse word because English gets both the word sky and the word scrape from old Norse. So skyscraper is essentially an old Norse word. You cannot talk me out of this. Anyway, by the time we get to the beginning of the 11th century, Viking influence in England is actually waning. The The Dane law is, is starting to fade from political relevance. And uh, the English king, Ethelred II, commonly known as Ethelred the Unready, uh, which, we've, as we've talked about before on the show, does not unfortunately refer to him uh, not being a very prepared bloke. Unready is actually a, a gag based on his name. Uh, Ethelred means well-advised, and unready in this context means 
ill-advised. So it'd be it'd be it'd be kind of like calling your clumsy mate Grace, um, Grace the ungraceful. Anyway, Ethelred, right? Uh, he's taking the fight to the Danes over in England, and Canute's dad, Svein, doesn't like this one little bit. And so, from around one thousand and two onwards, he starts loading people into longboats and sending them off over to uh, to to give those English bastards a good old-fashioned hiding. Now, Canute may or may not have been on some of those raids, as I mentioned before, but we do know for certain that in 1013, right, when Svein steps things up and stages a full-on invasion, Canute certainly is there to go along with his old man. And long story short, Svein gives Ethelred the business, turns out that he really wasn't ready for it after all, and conquers all of England, including Wessex to the south, not just the Danelaw. Ethelred flees to Normandy in northern modern-day France, and Svein is now king of Denmark, Norway, and England. Not bad at all. Now, he immediately attempts to consolidate his rule in freshly conquered England by marrying Canute to an English noblewoman, Elf Gifu of Northampton. And uh, the two of them have two kids together, but we'll, we'll come back to that. They'll be important later on. But Svein, right, he's done, he's done very bloody well for himself here. This is his third kingdom, makes a fine addition to his collection. But then he dies. Only a couple of months after his conquest, he just keels over and dies, and that's the end of him. Now, back then, it was common for a realm to be split amongst a king's sons. It wasn't just the, the eldest son who would get everything under the sort of more modern conception of, uh, of primogeniture that we have when it comes to royal families. No, no. Realms like this would be split up, right? So, despite being Svein's eldest, Canute doesn't get all three kingdoms, as you as you might have, might have expected the eldest son of a king to, right? He's going to get England, right? He's going to get England, that's fine. That's in the bag for him. But his younger brother, Harold, is going to get Denmark. And uh, when it comes to Norway, I uh, actually don't know what Svein wanted to have happen, but it doesn't matter because this young upstart named Olaf comes out of nowhere to seize the kingdom of Norway for himself while Canute is busy in England and Harold is busy in Denmark. Olaf sneaks in, conquers Svein's old allies in Norway and seizes power, ruling as Olaf II. And, and that's it. That's it for Norway until 1028. But we will come back to Olaf in due course, don't you worry. Anyway, for now, back to Canute inheriting England after the death of Svein. And I tell you what, he didn't get a very good deal here. Poor old Canute. As soon as Svein died, Ethelred, who's down in Normandy, you'll remember, he starts making plans to reconquer his kingdom back off of this young whippersnapper whose dad has just carked it. And so Ethelred mobilises all of the English nobles, and while Canute has the support of all of the Viking nobles that are settled in the Danelaw, he realises that he's not going to be able to fight Ethelred and the English nobles that are still loyal to their former king. He's now no longer got the support of Denmark and Norway to back him up like Svein did. So he's just lost a bunch of his military might and power. He's not going to be able to defend this new kingdom that he's just inherited. And so he buggers off out of there. Canute loads his army onto ships and sails back across to Denmark. And this worries his brother, Harold II, quite a fair bloody bit. Because Canute has a claim to the Danish throne inherited from his father Svein. And Harold is worried that he's going to come back and press it, which it turns out it looks like Canute is very seriously thinking about doing. He gets back to Denmark and he says, oh, g'day there, Harold, mate, how's it going? Oh, geez, you've certainly done pretty bloody well for yourself already, haven't you? Bloody brand new kingdom, this one a fair bit more secure than the one the old man left for me. And Harold goes, oh, yeah, mate, listen, yeah, sorry about that. Seems like Ethelred was ready to, uh, yeah, pull your pants down once Dad dies, so sucks for you, mate. I'm sorry about that one. And Canute goes, well, 
listen, mate, appreciate the apology, but I've been, I've been, I've been thinking about it and I reckon I've got an idea here. How about, right, we both rule as joint kings of Denmark. Seems fair, seeing as I've lost England, right? Seems like the right thing to do here, I reckon. And Harold goes, oh, mate, listen, oh, jeez. Don't know about that. I mean, Dad... Dad did leave Denmark to me, so two boys are there squaring off against each other. It's not looking good. Are we going to have a bloody Danish civil war here? No, we're not, because Harold says, all right, mate, listen, I'll do your deal. Cut you a little deal here, all right? If you agree not to press your claim on Denmark, right, I'll give you my full support in going and invading England again. That's what Dad would have wanted. You go and claim your rightful kingdom with my soldiers. How does that sound? And Canuti thinks about it, and then he says, you know what? That sounds pretty bloody good, actually. Yep, let's do that. Nice one. So, Canute abandons any ideas that he may have had about usurping the Danish throne from his younger brother, loads up the ships once again with his armies, but this time also with his brother's armies and any other Scandinavian allies who wanted to come along for the ride, and... A huge number of mercenaries, and he goes off again. He's got about 10,000 men, right, in 200 longships, massive army here. And he sails off across the North Sea with this huge force that he's assembled. And surprise, surprise, Ethelred the Unready, time for you to fight off yet another massive Viking invasion here. Canute's army fought like madmen. Ethelred gave command of his forces to his son, Edmund Ironside, and look, you got to give credit to Edmund. He did his best in resisting Canute and this enormous Viking army, but he is fighting an uphill battle. Not only has Canute brought battle-hardened veterans and treasure-hungry mercenaries, all keen as anything for a little bit of slaughter, or not really a little bit, actually, a lot bit, actually. Um, there are people that were nominally supposed to be loyal to Ethelred, right, that keep defecting to the Vikings. Remember, there are Viking settlers and nobles and all sorts, all of whom felt a cultural affinity with the invaders much more strongly than any bonds of loyalty that they were supposed to have to Ethelred. So defectors piled over to Canute's side, and it's it's not long before Wessex has fallen to the Vikings yet again, just just like it did under Svein, right? Canute marched his army up and down Ethelred's lands, fighting Edmund Ironside whenever he could, pillaging and raiding and burning when he couldn't, And then things go from bad to worse for the English because in April 1016, Ethelred dies. Absolute disaster. And Edmund, this poor young bastard, I tell you what, I mean, he he inherits the the English throne. He he cops it from his old man, no worries at all. But he has a bloody hard time holding on to it because when Canute hears about the death of Ethelred, he marches on London at full speed, wanting to besiege it with Edmund still inside it and and end the war that way, take the capital, take this new young king who hasn't been able to consolidate his rule, and that'll be that. Edmund did, man- did manage to escape London before the siege. He went around Wessex looking for reinforcements, just looking for it, going door to door, knocking, hey, do you want to come and fight? No, you don't. You don't want to come and fight the Vikings with me? All right, okay, if he goes down the road, next person. He has a terrible time, right? Canute splits his forces to besiege London as well as chase after Edmund, and eventually, on the 18th of October, 1016, Canute and Edmund face off in the decisive Battle of Asadun. And Canute pulls Edmund's trousers down and gave his iron sides a proper bloody hiding, let me tell you. Like his father before him, Canute had conquered an English king, and like his father before him, Edmund had been fed his own teeth by an invading Viking army. 
The peace agreement was very simple. Canute would take immediate control of all of England, except for Wessex and London, which Edmund would still continue to rule. Very, very generous of Canute, you would think, until you hear that the deal was that when Edmund died, Canute would also take those lands for himself as well, rather than them passing on to anyone else. And, wouldn't you know it, Edmund Ironsides died a month later. He had been king for seven months, and he spent every second of his kingship fighting for its survival against the Vikings, and he ultimately lost. There's speculation that he was murdered. It's never been proven. His death was certainly untimely. Uh, He was only in his mid-20s. And his death also very richly profited our mate Canute. So who knows? In any case, however Edmund died, Canute inherits the rest of England off him. And so he did, in the end, ultimately get the kingdom that his dad had left for him. He just had to jump through a couple of extra hoops for it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. But now that he has secured England, Canute is not going to let it slip through his fingers again. Oh, no, this was a hard-fought dub for him and he's not about to waste it. So the first thing he does, right, first thing he does is round up all of the English nobles that had stood against him while he was fighting to reclaim England and just chop their bloody heads off. Easy peasy, Albanese, get that out of the way. They're not going to be an issue anymore, he says. He also hunted down Ethelred's son, Edwig Etheling, and killed him as well, and even went after Edmund Ironside's sons as well, but they managed to escape England. They, they, they get away from this murderous new king. But then it gets even better because Canute married, right? You never guess. Canute married Emma of Normandy, who was Ethelred's former wife. His dad beat her husband in a war. He has now beaten her son in a war. And now he's marrying her. Must have been a hell of an awkward wedding. Oh, oh, how, how, how do you know the couple? Oh, well, I've been friends with Emma for a long time, but I first met Canute on the battlefield when he and his Viking army was slaughtering my comrades in arms. Oh, uh, yeah, well, how, how, how nice, how, how interesting. Um, Emma, by the way, was also the great-grandmother of William the Conqueror, but uh, that's another story, a story that you can hear. Episode 76, get across it, Norman Conquest of England. Anyway, um, oh, and by the way, for those playing along at home, uh, yeah, Canute was... Already married. He he did end up with two wives. He's still married to Elf Gifu from before. And just like with Elf Gifu, he, uh, he had two kids with Emma as well. But again, we, we'll come back to the kids in, uh, in due course. Anyway, Canute, uh, in the wake of this marriage, levied a massive tax on his realm to pay the mercenaries that he had hired to conquer England. And then he sent them back off home along with the troops that he'd borrowed from his brother Harold II back in Denmark. And then got on with the governance of his new realm. And he did this very effectively indeed. He divided his kingdom into four administrative units, Wessex, East Anglia, Mercia, and Northumbria. 
and he put a new type of ruler in charge of each of them, an earl, which is obviously another Norse word that we still use today. He instituted all sorts of other reforms as well, not just geographic and and political, but legal, financial, religious, all sorts. We're not going to go into them in too much detail because there's so much other stuff to talk about with this bloke. But in doing all of this stuff, right, Canute consolidated his rule over England marvellously well. And he did a very bloody good job of ruling the country as a young king, right, ruling over all of these people, half of whom had no cultural affinity for this Viking from across the seas. And he remained, as a result, more or less unchallenged as the King of England until the day he died. And then, a couple of years into ruling England, it only gets better for him from there because in 1018, he has a very bloody good piece of luck, his brother dies. Harold II of Denmark, dead as a doornail, brilliant, no need to go to war for Denmark. The Kingdom of Denmark passed from Harold to Canute, just like that, easiest piece of realm consolidation you're ever going to come across. And so Canute is now the King of England and Denmark. This bloke is unstoppable. To begin with, he split his time between his new realms, and interestingly, Canute becoming King of Denmark had a consequence that many Danes didn't like, right? They could no longer go and raid and pillage the English coastline. Why? Because Canute ordered his people not to go and raid and pillage his other people. Instead, the Vikings back in Denmark had to had to sail into and across the Baltic Sea rather than the North Sea as they look for plunder and riches. And this was, uh, in many ways, one of the earliest signs that the age of the Vikings was coming to end, an age defined by maritime raiding across the North Sea from Scandinavia to the British Isles. In a few short decades, the age of the Vikings will be over. Anyway, Canute spent the early 1020s now consolidating his rule in Denmark, just as he'd done previously in England, and he did a very bloody good job of this as well. He redirected the energies of those Vikings wanting to go and raid uh, to the east rather than to the west, Uh, and he did not pull his punches when it came to projecting Danish power throughout the region. If there was anyone who was resistant to his rule as the king of Denmark, he put him in their place very quickly indeed when Norway and Sweden started to get cosy towards one another, signalling a potential alliance between the two against Denmark. Canute put them in their place too. A couple of vicious raids designed to show off his people's force and his dominance in the Scandinavian region. However, I will say that he was politically weakened by needing to rule both England and Denmark concurrently. For instance, he had to leave Denmark under the control of a regent while he was back seeing to affairs in England. Uh, He left it under the control of his brother-in-law, Ulf Jarl, and to Ulf he also entrusted his son, Harthur Canute, as his designated heir to prepare the young boy to rule the Kingdom of Denmark in, in due course when he was older. But while Canute was back in England, right, the Norwegians and the Swedes, they sniff an opportunity on the wind. They see the fact that Canute is not around to take care of business in Denmark, and so they start to launch attacks of their own. So now Canute has to worry about this, but it gets worse because Ulf, sensing an opportunity himself, he starts to put forth Harthur Canute as a potential king of Denmark in his own right, not as the heir of Canute, but but as the straight-up actual king. He said that if Denmark was to deal with the Norwegians and Swedes, they needed a king who was there in Denmark to take care of business, and obviously what he was 
really hoping is that Harthur Knut, who was a kid, would be proclaimed king in his own right, and then Ulf, as his regent, would be in de facto control of Denmark. Now, Knut obviously, you know, he, he gets wind of this. He hears about the attacks coming in from Norway and Sweden. He hears about Ulf cooking up what is essentially just a bloody coup here. And he's so cross. He's as cross as a frog in a sock, mate. He's absolutely spewing. He sails back over the North Sea with a colossal navy, right? He finds the Norwegians and the Swedes. He gives them an absolute thrashing in the Battle of the Helgia. And then, the story goes, goes to Ulf and has him murdered in what would go on to become Roskilde Cathedral, the most famous church in Denmark. It's where members of the Danish royal family are buried to this day. Now, that part of the story may not be true, we're not 100% sure, but what I can tell you with certainty is that after Canute had dealt with the Norwegians, after he dealt with the Swedes, after he dealt with Buddy Ulf, that was that. There was no one to stand in his way. His consolidation of power over England and Denmark was complete by 1026, and now Canute can just chill out for a bit, mate. And that's what he does. In 1027, he takes a trip to Rome to attend the accession of the Holy Roman Emperor, Conrad II, something that was very bloody good for his reputation and his prestige as a monarch. There in Rome, he rubbed shoulders with other rich and powerful European rulers in a place of honour, and he made friends and political connections, particularly with Conrad II himself. Apparently, the two of them got got on like a house on fire. And this must have emboldened Canute against his enemies in Scandinavia. I mean, as it, as it bloody would. Imagine being mates with the Holy Roman Emperor. But yes, it must have given him the confidence to give himself a few new titles because, it, get, this, get this, this, this bit is terrific, right? In 1027, Canute proclaimed himself as King of England. Yep, no worries. King of Denmark, sure. Okay, yep, no, no problems there. King of Norway, all right, okay, and... King of parts of Sweden doesn't doesn't really sound all that impressive. Parts of Sweden, but uh, well, look, look. Then again, I suppose it's not that different to today's Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Great Britain and a little bit of Ireland doesn't really have the same ring to it. So it's all it's all just branding. It's just PR. Anyway, um, was he king of Norway? And parts of Sweden. No, he certainly was not. Not in real terms. Olaf II is still in charge in Norway. Remember him? Uh, and a fella named Anun Jacob is the king of Sweden. So I don't know what he's doing going around calling himself king of Norway and parts of Sweden. But look, hey, follow your dreams, right? Whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. And Canute was ready to go out and be the change that he wanted to see in the world. And specifically, the change that he wanted to see was the holder of the title of the King of Norway. And so after getting back from Rome, that's the first thing on his list. In 1028, after having returned to England, Canute readies yet another invasion force, this time pointed at Norway. He reckons he's got a pretty bloody good shot. Not only has he got rock-solid control over both England and Denmark, he's also now a very good mates with the Holy Roman Emperor, the most powerful man in Europe. But on top of all of that, and perhaps most importantly of all, there are still plenty of people in Norway who are loyal to the memory of Svein, his dad. Sensing an opportunity, Knut very cleverly starts to buy these nobles off. He sends them rich gifts of gold and silver to secure their support in the upcoming invasion. So he's in a great position here. Huge army, strong backers, white-handing Norway from within. The smart money is on Knut here. Once again, 
His mighty navy sets forth 50 ships in all, arriving at the Norwegian town of Trondheim. And look, I'm going to cut a a short story even shorter here. Olaf gets the beating of a lifetime. His nobles don't like him anyway. Some have been bribed away from him. He had no chance, mate. Knut wiped the floor with him and sent him into exile. Olaf didn't have another crack at winning back the Norwegian throne. A couple of years later in 1030, he returned at the head of an army, uh, intent upon reclaiming his lost title, uh, except all he got instead was killed. Poor Olaf, dead as a doornail, and his half-brother who came along to join him in the fight was also badly wounded and forced into exile. Why do I bring up the half-brother, you may be asking? That half-brother's name was Harald Hadrada who would go on to fight and die in the Battle of Stamford Bridge, one of the decisive battles that secured the fate of England in 1066, bringing about an end to the Age of the Vikings. But that, my friends, is another story. In any case, with the conquest of Norway and, nominally, parts of Sweden, although can you never actually did anything like invade Sweden or challenge and Jacob for those parts, he just claim dominion over southwest Sweden. Canute, he's done it. He's done it. He has reunited the lands held so very briefly by his father Svein Forkbeard. He has restored a realm that has become known to history as the North Sea Empire, although, as I mentioned before, it was never called that back then. It was instead three kingdoms held in personal union by one person. Svein had managed it for only a few months before he died, but it is a very different story with Canute or Canute the Great. As some are calling him, by now he is, I think it's fair to say, the second most powerful ruler in Christendom. Only Conrad II of the Holy Roman Empire was mightier than him, and the two of them are busy mates, so there are no worries there. And it gets better for Canute after he conquered Norway too. Around 1030, he led an army into Scotland, and there Malcolm II was smart enough to realise that he had no choice but to capitulate and swear fealty. To the Viking lord from the south, Scotland became a vassal kingdom to Canute's realm. Happily, too, I will say, without a single drop of blood being spilt this time around. The Scottish aren't stupid, mate. They're not stupid. They will fight the English to the ends of the earth because they know they have a chance against them. But against the Vikings? No, thanks, mate. That is fine. Um, Additionally, I couldn't really find too many details on this, but Wales also became a vassal state of Canutes, as did various Irish settlements scattered along the coastline, Dublin and Cork and the like. The North Sea Empire is not mucking about, mate. It is a massive realm in size and power, in wealth and prestige. Canute has built something truly incredible here. And after securing the loyalty of Scotland, as we move into the 1030s, there really is nothing and no one to challenge Canute. In fact, so little of note happens in the final years of Canute's reign that I just, I just don't really have anything left to tell you about the bloke. He conquered the bejesus out of three kingdoms and more, and then just sat back to enjoy ruling them. And he did a very good job of this. He oversaw a period of peace and prosperity throughout his entire empire, all three kingdoms here. Sadly, however, his life was not to be a long one because Canute the Great died on the 12th of November, 1035. He was only in his mid-40s. Now, let me tell you, after the relative peace and stability that people had enjoyed under his rule, once he died, 
All bets were off. Holy moly. Once Canute died, the North Sea Empire immediately collapsed as his realm was carved up amongst his three sons. Remember those kids I mentioned would come back into the story later? Well, all right. So he had two sons, right, with with Elfkifu, and a son and a daughter with Emma of Normandy. Now, the daughter, Gunhilda of Denmark, uh, she married Conrad II's son, Henry, right? Reflecting their their close relationship, Conrad and, uh, and Canute. So they marry their kids to each other and uh, eventually Gunhilda becomes the queen consort of Germany, although she died before Henry became the Holy Roman Emperor. But let's get into talking about the sons here and strap yourselves in because it is going to get wild. We're not just talking about the sons of Canute here, but also the sons of Ethelred, the Unready. Remember him? Well, his sons are back there, back with the steel chair. Remember, Ethelred had sons with Emma as well. So they're in the running for the English crown, but we'll, we'll, we'll come to that. First up, Knut's son, Svein Knutsen, right? He became the king of Norway with his mum, Elfgifu, ruling as his regent initially before he took over for a few months because then Olaf II's son, Magnus, turned up, reconquered Norway off him, forced him to flee, and then he died uh, a short time later, not even 20 years old. So that's that's that for, for the young Svein. And that's that for Norway as well. Knut would have been spewing to learn that his son lost it so quickly after his death. We move on now to son number two, son's other son with Elfgifu, Harold Harefoot, so named because apparently he could run very quickly. Uh, he became the king of England, and he had to deal with Ethelred the Unready sons, the sons that he had had with Emma, his stepbrothers, coming back to claim their father's kingdom. But they failed. He held England, and then he just bloody died after five years as well. And so his half-brother, Harthur Knute, who we mentioned before and who we're going to come to next, he took over as the king of England from 1040 onwards. But yes, Harthur Knut, right, Knut's son with Emma, uh, he inherited the kingdom of Denmark, and unlike his half-brothers, he did a bit better in holding on to his titles, although not that much better, as we'll see. He took over Denmark once Knut died, just as the plan had been when he was over there as, uh, you know, with, with Ulf as his regent. But then a few years into his reign, he began to plan an invasion of England to take the throne from Harold Harefoot, who's only just seen off his bloody stepbrothers. Now he's got to deal with his half-brother as well. Bloody hell, this poor bloke can't catch a break. And so he just goes ahead and dies, as I mentioned, you know, saves himself, saves himself the trouble of having to deal with it. And that means old mate Harthur Knut gets an absolute freebie, doesn't even need the invasion force that he's been mustering. He sails back over and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. He's the king of England. No worries at all. But then in 1042, he dies as well. Magnus of Norway, the son of Olaf, moves in on Denmark. Edward the Confessor, another son of Ethelred, moves in on England and becomes king there. It's a just a great big bloody mess, mate. All, all these kings, they're playing musical thrones. No one can hold it all together. Not like our mate Canute. Canute the Great, as he's known to history. And he certainly deserves the appellation, in my opinion, as a bloke who united three separate realms under one ruler and created one of the most powerful empires of the high medieval period in Europe. He wasn't able to create an empire that stood the test of time as his sons and their rival claimants all squabbled over the kingdoms that he had ruled. But all the same, his achievements as a conqueror and as a ruler are quite remarkable. Canute not only waged incredibly successful military campaigns to conquer the lands he did, he also ruled them very successfully indeed. 
He delegated power to regional governors very effectively. He instituted important legal, cultural, financial, and religious reforms to ensure peace and prosperity throughout his realm. And he worked extremely hard to make sure that his reign was secure and that he wasn't under threat from usurpers, claimants, or any other opportunists. He proved himself a great ruler of a great empire, befriending other mighty leaders like Conrad II of the Holy Roman Empire, and he was able to use both war and diplomacy to achieve his objectives as a king. But sadly, the stability and the security that he brought to the region wasn't to last, and with his death plunging Denmark, Norway, and England into chaos, this meant that the North Sea Empire was over and done with. Or was it? Because in a few years, when a bloke named Harald Hadrada succeeds Magnus as king of Norway, his decision to unite the thrones of Norway, Denmark and England, just as Canute the Great had, would have enormously impactful consequences for the entire region. But that, my friends, is another story. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of King Canute of the North Sea Empire. And you might be wondering, well, mate, what was all this chat about Harold Hadrada? Are we going to talk about him? Well, yes, we are. Next week, my friends, we'll come back. I don't, I don't want to really frame this as a part one, part two situation because it really isn't. These two stories certainly stand on their own. But um, in, in talking about Canute, there is just such, a, such an incredible thread to follow through to the story of Harold Hadrada. So I'll see you back here next week for that. Going to close out the show with all the boring housekeeping stuff, of course, coming your way right here and right now. Halfhousehistory.net, that's the website. Head over there, find all everything you need to know except Quarter House History, which is not available via that website. But you can find the links to subscribe to the show on Spotify, on iTunes, on whatever uh, whatever other podcast feed you like. And there you will find Quarter House History. If you can't find it for any reason on your podcast feed, please get in touch. Let me know which podcast app you're using, and I will uh, I'll try to sort it out for you. There are, there are a couple of... Um, I say a couple. There is one uh, podcast app that is I'm having some difficulties getting the uh, the new episodes onto, Quarter House History and the like onto. So apologies for that, but please do get in touch with me if uh, if you're having issues and, and I'll do what I can to sort it out. In the meantime, if you want to support the show, greatly appreciate all the support that I get from uh, from loyal listeners around the world. You can buy merch, of course. You can buy merch uh, or you can support the show directly via Patreon, patreon.com slash History. At any membership tier, you, of course, get ad-free listening. But uh, the higher the tiers go, the better the rewards get. You can get things like early access to episodes. You can get access to the scripts that I use. If you want to listen to me burp and fart and nearly swear, I usually cut myself off before I get the full the full four letters of, uh, of these words out. Uh, but they are in the uncut episodes available to, uh, to patron subscribers as well. Uh, and of course, there, there is exclusive Patreon only merch that you can get, uh, if you support me via Patreon. And uh, look, I want to, I want to thank, as I do every week, I want to thank all the Patreon supporters for, uh, for helping to keep this show afloat. It is a huge spur to my flank having, uh, patrons there supporting me week in and week out. So thank you so very, very much to all of you who are doing that. And particularly, uh, a welcome to the people who have signed up recently. Uh, it's great to have you along. It really is. Uh, thank you very much to those who have, uh, have headed over to patreon.com and thrown their hat in the ring there. Uh, but of course, 
Thanks also go to those people who are out there spreading the word of Half House History, telling their friends, telling their enemies, telling people about whom they feel largely ambivalent. It's been great to get across some Viking history this week. If you've got a mate who is into Viking history, wants to learn a thing or two about one of the great overlooked Vikings from history, send this episode through to them and let them know. There's more where that came from, baby. Not only the um, uh, the, the the episode on the Norman Conquest, of course, but Harold Hadrada coming up next week. So I hope you join me with that. Anyway, going to close things out, of course, with a question posed on Reddit. This one is about the Vikings, appropriate as that's what we've been talking about this week. It comes to us from Rubbish Pseudo Hipster, who asks, It has been many centuries since the Vikings were Viking about, so shouldn't they by now just be the Vikes? Vikes?